Well, we have been on a journey together this year to talk about worship, but I felt as we navigated this topic, we really couldn't talk about worship without getting a biblical understanding of warfare. And so those two topics have gone together. Uh, the goal it was not to necessarily preach a series on spiritual warfare. I know that that tends to get great headlines and everybody loves that. It's kind of like, hey, we're going to preach in Revelation. It's like, oh, I'm coming. There's going to be fireworks and weird stuff. I'll be there. Um, but there's a reason why warfare even matters and why it's important. And the main reason is simply this. It's in the way of the ultimate reason why we exist. We exist for worship. We exist to be creatures who see and experience God for who he is in such a way that what comes from us is, is the response that he deserves. Right? The, the trees of the fields clap their hands. All creation rejoices. Everything that's been made finds its sweet spot for its existence in him, in turning to him and responding to him and being aware of who he is. And, and just hearing Sophia's, ah, so affected by Sophia's testimony. Because life gets off the rails in a bunch of ways. I mean, you can think of your own particular category. Sophia had her own story. But we get off the rails when that which we are longing for to exchange the most meaningful things deep inside of us when that moves to something else beside God. It is the explanation for why our life ever gets weird. That's what's behind it. So these subjects go together. Worship and warfare. And I started your outline, if you have one, with a, an awareness that these two words relate to each other. And at some point, life's journey... We're going to need to understand why certain things aren't happening the way we thought they were. At some point, every Christian, if you haven't been here, you haven't been a Christian for long, is pondering asking for a refund. Because there's stuff happening that you just can't explain. And part of that is because you read the Bible and it sounded like it's not supposed to be this way. How many guys have, I do want you to raise your hand so I'm preparing you for this. This is group participation. How many guys have prayed for someone who was sick to be healed? Let me just say this to any of you who are not raising your hands. The question would be, why not? Why haven't you prayed for people who are sick to be healed? The Bible actually makes it sound like you should and you ought to. How many quoted the, a scripture passage that sounded like, by his stripes we are healed? And you prayed over that person. How many of those people died? How many of you have prayed for people who are wrestling through an issue in their life that's starting to dominate their life? It's starting to take every ounce of freedom away from them. They are under the banner of some word like addicted. An alcohol abuser. Pornography watcher. And they just seem to have lost control. And, and they want help. And that's genuinely asking for help. And you step into that moment and you pray with them and you hold their hands and you cry with them. And you quote Bible passages that sound like, but we are more than conquerors through Christ. I've, I've done their funerals after that. I know Pastor Peter has done their funerals after that. You prayed real Bible verses for real needs and real situations that are clearly in Scripture. And the outcome was you're burying that person. You going to pray for another sick person? 
You going to pray for another person who's going through that sort of a thing in their life? I wish I could tell you it only happened once or twice. It's happened a lot. You know, there is a dimension to our life in this moment that is warfare. It is warfare. We are in a war zone. And it's going to feel like war. I wonder sometimes, because, you know, leading in a setting like this and all the elders and pastors who lead and care for people, a war zone, it's an exhausting place to live. You know, I I know they got the G7 summit happening on the other side of the world and uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is is meeting there. And I I look at that man sometimes and I think, "How how do you just keep leading through the environment that he's in? He is watching his people die left and right over every day is another report of a building that got bombed and children who are dead. And, and you have to motivate these people to keep going. You got to say something. And all he wants to say is, would somebody send me some F-16s? Somebody send me something to do something about this situation, right? That's what prayer kind of sounds like, right? Right. For all the Zelensky's among us who are leading families and you're leading in church. There's a moment when you're just, the warfare is exhausting and you're just crying out to God. Would you just send some F-16s for goodness sake to make a difference in the warfare? A little bit of what we need to understand if, if we're going to pursue worship, I think I wrote in your outline, if, if worship is knowing and understanding and delighting in and treasuring and wholeheartedly, affectionately engaging God, I want that all the time. And I guess I have to ask the question because that's not always my story. In the trenches of life, in the daily experiences, that's not always who I am. And I have to, Lord, why? Why is worship not at a heightened experience every day of my life as I stare at every moment, as I look out at creation, and I take into account all the rich things I know about God? Why isn't worship at a heightened moment every moment of my life? God is who he is all the time. He never changes. Why am I not always on board with that? Well, getting some biblical insights. Can I just say, I need, I need this message today. I need a biblical explanation for why I'm going to pray for another person that I'm going to bury. But yet I'm going to pray for another person again. And I'm going to keep doing it. And so I want to, I want to engage us in a little bit of an, I'm just, I'm going to say this kind of stuff a lot because I, I, I do think the church of Jesus Christ in America in particular is desperately in it. Hey, if you guys don't start that clock, I'll, I'll go until this afternoon. <laughs> that little green one ain't moving and it, we could be here for lunch dinner. Um, the, the church has turned into this fast-moving lifestyle that, that gets around the Bible for devotional vitamin kicks. You know, give me a book that's sort of like, it's going to give me a Bible verse and about cool phrases, and I'm going to feel a little kick in my step. It's going to boost me up here. Um, you're not going to survive in a war with that kind of stuff. And, and worship will, will be full of non-answers. I'll, I'll go to worship, but I, I won't have answers for things that sit in me. And they weigh a lot. And they're distracting and discouraging. I need to know why it feels the way it does right now on planet Earth. And there's a biblical explanation for that. So I want to introduce you to something. We started this, and, and I wasn't trying to give you a big, giant overview of Romans, but it ended up being the best way, I think, to explain the warfare piece. We started in Romans chapter 1 with an awareness of corruption that's in our world. And then we ended up in Romans chapter 12, where Paul shifts the language of the, of the epistle and says, therefore now brothers, 
presents yourselves to God as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual worship. So he lands in this worship category 12 chapters later. And in between, there's some theological stuff that really, really, really matters. So Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8 introduces us to something that explains a lot about what I just described. And we need to be aware of it. And you probably won't find Romans 6 through Romans 8 in a quick devotional read. It's too long for one thing, (laughs) but it's kind of complicated and devotional thoughts don't like complicated. They're sort of like the punchline to the joke. They don't like a lot of setup. So we need what's here, but I want to introduce us to something. And there's a, there's an image I want to put up that'll help us see it, that you and I live in what's, what's called an an overlap of ages. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I just want to unpack it a little bit more. So this is what the overlap of ages look like. And I'm hoping that, there we go. All right, so this is a little more complicated, but I just want you to be aware, next week is Pentecost Sunday. So you see that word Pentecost. Uh, Next week is huge. Unfortunately, it does, you know, Hallmark's not showing up for it. Uh, I don't see anything set out. There's Valentine cards. There's, you know, apparently other things are more important. Can I just tell you, Pentecost is huge. And I, I seek to never miss the opportunity to preach a message about Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. So we will again next week. But that, there's two lines here that are critical. There's a bottom line here. That's kind of a timeline. It's called this age. And this age goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve dislodged this age from God's creation in Eden. And it's continued ever since. So the corruption is in this age. And then there's another line that starts on the top there and goes off into eternity. And that's the age to come. But you'll notice something. That age to come is going to be what exists forever. This age is not going to go on forever. When Christ returns, which we heard about last week, which John did an outstanding job. If you didn't hear last week's message, please listen. This is coming to an end. This age is going to end. All of its corruption, all of its suffering, all of its issues, all of its sin and temptation, and all that's going to end when Christ returns a second time. But you'll notice something in this time frame. Between Pentecost, which happened in the first century, and Christ's return, these two ages simultaneously exist. You'll notice at one point, the other age doesn't appear yet. And then you'll notice as time goes on, this age no longer exists, but it does right now. So you have this thing that God has made rich promises about that's in the future. And the Bible's unpacking it all over the place, educating us about what is to come. And then God squeezes it back and he has these two ages and he makes them overlap for a brief time. In light of eternity, for a brief time. You and I live in the overlap, which makes the Bible, if you don't read it carefully, and the Bible clearly says this, but if you don't read it carefully, the Bible will feel bipolar to you. It'll feel like one minute it's saying one thing, wait a minute, and then it's saying something. But if you just see this, it informs a lot about our lives and why they are the way they are. Right, so let me give you a couple of thoughts from smarter people than me. David Briona is a professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. He says, for now, Christians live in a great theological tension. We already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? We've heard that in scripture. But we do not experience the fullness of these blessings yet. I'm titling today's message, War- Worship and Warfare in the Now and the Not Yet. Some guys are going to use the term already, the already and the not yet. But I'm just trying to get the overlap piece in front of us. In one sense, we are already adopted, redeemed, sanctified, and saved. In another, these expectations are not yet fully ours. Underneath this theological and practical tension are the two comings of Christ. In the first coming, he inaugurated the last days. In the second coming, he will complete them. In the meantime, we live for now in the overlap of the ages. If you're attending our systematic theology class, which is why we have systematic theology classes, because systematic theology classes love this kind of stuff. 
devotional books don't too much. Wayne Grudem says, in the life of an individual, the future reign of God breaks into the present. It is already here and not yet here fully. Therefore, those who believe in Christ will begin to experience something of what God's final kingdom reign will be like. They will know some measure of victory over sin, over demonic opposition, and over disease. They will live in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the dynamic power of the coming kingdom. Eventually, Jesus will return and his kingdom reign will extend over all creation. So the age to come has intruded and it brought some stuff with it. It brought things like regeneration. In, in the past age, that was not the condition available to humanity. But when it intruded on our age now, regeneration comes, new life, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is now. It's a now thing. There's an infilling of the Spirit. There's a unique power that comes by the Spirit. There's a new identity. If you're in Christ, you are, you are right now a new creation in Him. So there's a new identity right now that this age imposed on us. There's a legal statement of conclusion. Justification is done. It's finished. Whatever it took for us to be made right with God, that is done. And it's, this coming age has brought that with it. The current age that we live in <clears throat> is also still present, which means the devil is still here. The world is still wayward and not in harmony and agreement with God. And our flesh, our flesh, that thing you're going to take home with you when you leave here today, I wish you could leave it in your seats. We just close the building up and burn it down. Um, excuse me, your flesh is still corrupt. It is still corrupt. And you are going to experience that. So I'm going to pull us into Romans 8. Because Romans 8 pulls all these ideas into the same room and has no problem with them all getting along with each other. And we need some help with that. Because these tend to pull on each other a little bit. So let me just make some observations from Romans chapter 8, and I have to pull back from Romans 6 and 7 as well to get us there. First, there's past tense completion in these activities. Something is done. Something is being told to us that's finished. It doesn't sound like it's it's about to get done. We need to see it. It's done, right? So when we back up into Romans 7, the verse that catapulted us here a few weeks ago, Paul says, so I find it to be a law then when I want to do right, maybe he wants to read his Bible. Maybe he wants to stop saying that or doing that. He wants to obey God in some kind of a way that, that really matters. If he wants to worship wholeheartedly, when I find I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's what he found. And that's what you and I are finding, right? I, I, I do want, there is this work in me that wants to do things. And you can name your evil, whatever it is. I don't know what it is for you. I know, I know what evil tends to show up for me. You know, maybe it's insecurity or maybe it's jealousy. I find evil is close. Maybe it's anger. I just find evil is close at hand. You know, and, and you got default settings, right? Do you do know that, right? Because this is coming from within you, by the way. That's what he's going to go on and say. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members in me another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What problem are you having, Paul? Something in me. Does that mean the devil's not involved? No, but he's a different category. Does that mean the world isn't influential? No, but they're a different category too. This is going on from in me. So this is very insightful, isn't it? Because we can fall in love with the idea that, of course, my life is less than ideal because of something out there. It's the way the world is. I mean, goodness, you know who I'm related to? I got relatives. So I got reasons why my life is the way it is. If you knew my dad or my mom or my wife. And then, of course, there's all these politicians, for goodness sake. Right? I mean, how on earth can life possibly be anything but good? And, and then there's, you know, systemic racism is everywhere. 
Right? There's just so many issues that are out there messing with our life. Probably driving here, some idiot in traffic. was. I'm sure that was available. So there's lots of stuff out there, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He says, I find when I want to do right, I got like this roommate with me. And I wish it was somebody else, but unfortunately, the roommate is me. I wish I could just blame it on him. Well, no, it kind of feels like you, doesn't it, Paul? Yeah, it kind of does. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Kind of sounds bipolar, doesn't it? This is Paul for the heart to worship, letting you know that warfare is still present. And then he turns around and starts wrong. This is the next verse, Romans 8, 1. The next verse after that thought is this. There is, therefore, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so what's going on in the right now for Paul? Well, he just got finished saying warfare is going on right now. In the right here and now, warfare is going on. I find myself confronting evil and things in me that I don't want to do, I end up doing. That's what's going on right now. And at the very same moment that that's going on, there's no condemnation for me. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Because you would think that when you're in the warfare and, and you've chickened out again and given in, or you've gotten deceived and you failed or you stumbled, you would think there's got to be some kind of deep conviction, some kind of write me a ticket, some kind of massive disapproval moment. Next thing out of Paul's mouth, after a long presentation of I'm doing the things I don't want to do. But right now, right now, there's no condemnation for me. None. How do, you, how do you land there? Well, if you keep reading, you find out. How does the no condemnation come? All right, be, before I read the verse, how do you try to get yourself to not feel condemned? What, what do you do? Okay, what, what some of us are going to do is we're not going to do what Paul just did. We're not going to tell you that there's a war within and I'm not always winning it and I fail at it. We're not going to bring that up because that makes me feel condemned. So I'm trying to avoid feeling condemned. I definitely, if I, if I read TikTok or uh, whatever the other stuff, I can't, I'll go brain dead because I don't do much of this. But what's the other? Instagram. Uh, I can avoid condemnation by avoiding the toxic people in my life. Did you know that? Because the toxic people, they're just not, they just don't make you feel good about yourself. And I don't want to be around that kind of stuff. Or you can stop going to a church like this that actually reads Romans 7 and not just Romans 8, 1. Because I, I want to feel a certain way about me. Well, here's what makes you feel that way. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It's a law. It's going to say something to you. It, the law of sin and death is never good news for us. It's the bad news on the way to the good news. It's letting us know you fell short again. Oh, you didn't know adultery was wrong? Oh, can I read the Bible to you? Oh, great, I feel worse after reading the Bible. Oh, it gets worse than that. Keep reading. For all of you, it's like, well, I've never committed adultery. Did you ever covet you ever want something that God hasn't allotted to you and you want somebody else? Does that make you feel good? The law of sin and death is the source of condemnation. How do you get around that? Well, I just won't read my Bible then. I'll just avoid people who bring that kind of stuff up. No, the way you avoid it is to let something greater than it conquer it and be true of you. The law of the spirit of life has set you free right now. You are right now set free from the accusations of that law. That, by the way, the accusations aren't lies. Oh, yeah, they're, they're real. So it's like the law comes along and brings up something you've done. It's not lying. You really did that. And you really did fall short. So what's going to fix that? You going like this? 
No. What Christ has completely done in his death on the cross shut up the ability for any of that to ever get prosecuted. You can't be charged with this stuff. So I am free from it. Right now, I am free from it. Even though just a few minutes ago, Paul said, yeah, but you're still doing some of this stuff, Keith. It's true. I am. So right now, I'm in a war, and I'm not always winning the battles, but I am not condemned all at the same time. Kind of bipolar, isn't it? But it's here. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the Bible. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He killed it. He, he brought it. Its punishment is placed upon it. He did something that we could never do. And it's done right now in the right now that you and I live in. That is done. That's incredible news, isn't it? It, it makes me face life a little differently, right? So if I back up, this is all Paul in this section, Romans 6 through Romans 8. It is so rich. But when you back up a little bit, there's something else here, right? There's new life and the possession of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit now. Now, that's, that's true now. Romans 6 verse 4. We were, past tense, done, buried, therefore, with him. By baptism into death. That's why that's so significant. That symbolism is so significant. Because it is the end of the life that was ruled by the law and sin. That death was Christ's death to that. And that's what you watched right now. That was a testimony of a life buried and a new life. That's right here in Romans 6. We were buried therefore with him by the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right now. Right now. So the, 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 the age to come has shown up and it has brought some things with it. It brings to me a new life, a life that was lost in Adam has now been regained. And I can now walk in it. And this changes my expectations a little bit, doesn't it? I can go do life. Well, what about the battle zones? Oh, but they're still there. Romans 7 does not get undone. Romans 7 is about to get brought up by Paul from Romans 6. So I'm still battling. I'm still fighting. There's still issues going sideways in my world. It's part of the land that I live in. Well, how do I deal with the fact that, hey, I'm supposed to be walking in newness of life, but I'm not? Well, don't lose. There's no condemnation in Christ. You can fight, bleed, battle, and fail, and there's still no condemnation. You can not show up. You can disappoint yourself, everybody else in your life, and you can think you're disappointing God. And can I just say, because we get a little bit weird and psychological on God, uh, God's not okay with everything. So don't reinvent him just because you want to feel better about yourself. Well, God could never be disappointed in me. Don't turn him into your grandfather. It's a little more complicated than that. God is righteous, and certain things just ain't right. And he's not like that for him. And at the same time, his love and acceptance and insistence and running after us and welcoming us and affections for us are not diminished at all. There is no condemnation. There is a father who brings his love in an attack form. He's coming after us. But it's not because it's some psychologized version of God that he's, well, he would never be disappointed. Uh, that's going to that's gonna be a problem when you start reading more of your Bible. That's why I don't want you to run off with that. Romans 6, 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Uh, so right now, my mortal body still has passions in it. It's still, it's like my car still pulls to the left, you know? Got a, got a new thing going. God brought it home from the shop, got saved. And the stinking thing still pulls to the left. Yeah, it does. You'll get a new car when you get to heaven. But right now, 
That thing you're driving right now, it still pulls to the left, doesn't it? Yep, yep, it does. All right, well, when it does pull to the left, don't let it do that. Don't let sin reign in your body to make it pull to the left. Verse 14, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, because you have from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So do that right now. But this, this language, this is, a, this is a call to war, right? Let not and do not present. Let not this happen and do not present. That's a call to war. Be ready to go to war. There's some things that are going to show up at your doorstep this week and their desires that are not what God wants. Be ready to go to war when they show up. Be ready to fire live ammunition at those things. Do not let them take over. They want to come reign. They want your territory. They want to blow up your houses and they want to take away your stuff. Don't let them do it. Be armed and be dangerous. Oh, and by the way, this verse doesn't just apply to all the drug addicts in the room. sweetest mom in the room needs to be ready. You could be the nicest person ever and you got evil that wants to show up inside of you. And it might be a sweeter version of evil than somebody else's version of evil, but it's still evil. You might be the most undetected manipulator ever, but there's something in you that wants to control the universe. And even if you figured out how to align the planets and nobody's picking up on that, you know. You know why you asked that question to your son. You're getting at something and you're trying to get him at something and you're moving the whole room and you're really good at it. But you know, when that stuff goes off inside of you, it's going to drive you nuts. Because you're going to bump into the fact that you can't steer the planets, can you? You can't make things bring you peace. You got to know that it's happening inside of you. You got to go to war, right? Romans 8 makes us aware, hey, in this land that we're living in, there's still suffering. Romans 8 verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present time, right now, Paul, yes, right now, the age to come has intruded, but even in this overlap, there is suffering in this present time, and, but they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I would say primarily, theologically, that is to be revealed is the, the, the full dawn of the coming age. The glory that's awaiting us when we get out of this current age. But I would also say because <clears throat> the coming age has peaked in on our age, the glory that is to be revealed to us could be Wednesday at some level. It's not going to be full glory of eternity, but it could be God at work right here, revealing something glorious by the end of next week, right? So the suffering is going to give way to this glory, but the suffering is here, isn't it? <clears throat> there's a, there's a groaning inside of us. Th this little section here, I'm going to, I'm going to do it quickly, but this is theologically insightful. This explains to us why life is the way it is. Romans 8 verse 19. The creation waits with eager longing. That's the not yet piece. We're not there yet. Still waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility by God. He did that. And he hasn't unsubjected it yet. <clears throat> Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be, right now, will be set free from its bondage to, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wait, wait, wait. I thought where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I thought that was true. It is true. But you're in an age of overlap, and this is true as well. There's an obtaining of freedom that's not fully here yet, but it's peaked in on us. And so there is a freedom that's totally appropriate for us to go after and pursue. 
verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Right now, it's still going on. And Christians, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, right? The overlap of the spirit has intruded. We ourselves with the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, right? When something in you cries out, how, how long, Lord? When are you coming back? When are you just gonna put all this stuff to rest? You're not some second-rate Christian when you do that. Like, well, why don't you have some faith? Why don't, why don't you be more than a conqueror? Because there's something in me, according to the Bible, that's groaning and waiting eagerly. Eagerly. There's something in me that wants this to end. And the thing that's coming to begin. I'm not fully there yet, and you aren't either. Don't be more spiritual than the Bible. And insult those people like, we got work to do here. Come on now. All right. Figure out a way to encourage one another, but, but don't force them to not sound like the Bible. This is a moment where groaning still exists for the believer. You are going to groan and you're going to groan for a bunch of reasons because every molecule of God's universe has been subjected to futility every bit of it so that God could get creation to stop looking for redemption in itself, but to look away from it to him. So God has not designed the world to answer our questions, fulfill our dreams. It's not designed that way. It's kind of designed to frustrate and turn us to him who is bringing a new age to dawn in our existence. Verse 24, for in this Hope, we are saved. Now, hope that's seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We acknowledge our hope is in the not yet. The things that are not fully here yet. That's ultimately where our hope is. Right? Romans chapter 8, right in this same neighborhood, there's still weakness and limited understanding in the neighborhood that you and I live in right now. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you feel weak in any way in your life? You don't have to not act like, well, no, no, because, you know, in Him I am strong. Yes, that's true. Can you please let this verse sit right next door to that one so you won't insult people who are actually reading their Bible a little more than you are? And making it sound like, oh, it would be illegal for any of you to acknowledge that you're in a moment of weakness. Uh, no, uh, that might inform why you feel the way you do and how hard this feels and how much I need God in this moment. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. He's here to do that. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that's interesting. It doesn't say that God will fix our lack of understanding. It says the Holy Spirit will do it for us. And don't ask me to explain how he does that. <laughs> but he does. This is how grace shows up. Grace is typically, always, God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So the Bible's acknowledging, hey, when you go to do life in this overlap zone, there's going to be moments where you just feel weak and you don't even know what to pray. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It means you're a Romans 8 Christian living in a season of overlap with stuff going on that it's hard to make both of these things get along. Romans 8 continues, right? There's this discontinuity that's hard to explain. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All of us know that verse. Why do we know that verse? Because we need help in the moments where this doesn't make any sense. And this all feels bad. And it can only be bad. Why does this verse exist? Because that's how life feels sometimes. And the Bible has to explain to us, hey, even in that moment, in this overlap moment, God is at work. 
causing all things to answer to his purpose in your life. Everything is answering to his purpose. Why did you have to tell me that? Because right now it doesn't feel like that's true. And so if your life feels that way, it, it, it's, it's just testifying you're still in the overlap. Romans chapter 8 keeps going. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So this verse parks an overlap. An age that makes us more than conquerors gets parked next to famine and nakedness. Are, are those things not happening right now? Oh, no, they are happening. That's why you're needing to be told this. So in the midst of famine, being touched by famine and desperation, we are more than conquerors. Both of those things simultaneously exist. You do this carefully. You know, as a church, we have walked through a few episodes where someone that we love dearly, that we are all attached to, uh, has been diagnosed with something that eventually could take their lives. And the church has rallied to pray and ask God for healing in those times. There's been prayer. There's been fasting. There's been gatherings. There's been a, a leaning in. There's been faith that, that made us want to say, this, this is going to work out a certain way. All those things are present in that moment. And, and two of the most severe examples of that are in heaven right now, enjoying the presence of Jesus. They're not here with us. They were not healed the way we were asking for God to heal them. Those are really, really hard moments. Those are moments when people in the church who have been, because you, you were called to pray. You were called to pray for a particular outcome. You were called to pray that there would be healing that would come into this person's life right now. It wouldn't result in the death of their body and them going to be with the Lord, but it would result in them remaining here among us. And we could think of reasons why that was true. And we argued with God and we presented our case and we found examples in scripture and we presented them to him as well. And it didn't work out the way we were praying. Are you going to do that again? Yes, I am. Why would you do that? Because I understand something from Romans, from other places in scripture. I, I, I live in an age of overlap. I live in a moment where glorious future things by God's plan have intruded into life right here, right now. The Bible uses terms like first fruits, all right? It's the image that we get from Joshua and Caleb running into the promised land and coming back. They're the only ones who have been there and they come running back and they're carrying all this fruit and they show it to the guys and, and the crowd of people comes up with a hundred reasons why we're not going to make it. That's not going to happen. We're not going to get there. And Joshua and Caleb have seen the promises of God. Let's keep going. Here, eat the first fruits. This is what waits for us there. And those first fruits, when they tasted them, I'm sure it looked like nothing they've ever eaten in their lives. It was the promised land. And they got to taste that. But they got to eat it on the wrong side of Jordan. They weren't in the promised land yet. They were on their way there, but they got to taste a little bit of what was coming. That's kind of the land of overlap that we live in, where God lets the future glories that await us intrude at some level. So there are these things called gift of healing that are here. They show up, they're real. They're God deciding at any moment I could take your body and make all the disease go away 
through whatever means I choose to do that, I can reverse that. I can overthrow this gripping issue in your life. I can powerfully do this and do this and do this in the age in which you live. But the Bible doesn't have to install an asterisk at the bottom. It just We need to be careful with what we do with that. Does that mean everybody gets healed permanently here? Immediately we'd say, well, well, no, it doesn't mean that. Because this isn't there yet. This is the right now. It's not yet what it's going to be. So when I pick up the passage, by his stripes, we are healed. That's a real Bible passage. It really does mean something. It means something in the overlap age that's a little bit different than in the permanent age. And the Bible clearly says that. This is a first fruits experience. The healing that we get, that Jesus purchased by his death on the cross and his resurrection life, the newness of life that he has for us is going to result in a new creation body that will never be sick ever again. It will live forever in eternity. By his stripes, I am healed. And that waits for me. But what if I get a disease right here on earth and you pray for me? Well, God could grab a piece of that and let me taste first fruits right here, right now. So will I pray for people that are sick? Yes, I'm going to pray for people that are sick because God has a strategy for using first fruits in our lives. He interrupts the corruption of this world to tell you it will not always be this way. The grip of sin over your life. Man, there are some here I loved hearing Sophia's testimony. There are some of us here who have a testimony where sin gripped us, and I don't know what happened, but we went to a prayer meeting and somebody prayed for us. I never did that again. There are some people here. That's their testimony. Sin instantly lost its grip. And then there's other people in this room that they're fighting a war every day right now. Keith, can you explain that? A little bit, yeah. Because the first fruits can show up in ways in this overlap period in a variety of ways. And it might not show up for everybody exactly the same way. But I'm going to pray. James chapter 5, that calls for, you know, if, if there's any among you who are sick, let them call for the elders. Let them pray. In faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Does that mean everybody gets healed? It doesn't mean that. Well, if everybody's not going to get healed, why should we pray? Because the Bible told us to pray. But I can't figure out when it's going to happen, when it's not going to happen. And man, I'm really leaning in sometimes. And I'm full of faith and I'm, ah. Yes, you are. Welcome to the war. And that's true of whatever issue I'm struggling with wherever faith is having a hard time getting some traction in my life, whatever victory, I am more than a conqueror. But sometimes I don't feel like it. And sometimes the resume in my life says otherwise. Because I live in this overlap age. These experiences get a little bit of an explanation from that. I can't tell you the technical details, but they get a little bit of the explanation from that. We have a peace that has shown up in our lives that passes understanding. Doesn't the Bible say that? Doesn't it tell you that it's yours? And yet at the same time, we have a lot to read about that's warfare and hostility. They exist together, the same place, right? The last thing we looked at a couple weeks ago, I'll finish with this. Romans eight thirteen. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Right now, I have to put to death the, yes, right now. But I, I, thought, I thought I was at peace. Well, yeah, peace exists. Peace with God exists. Peace with the devil does not exist. Peace with the world does not exist. Peace with your own fleshly corruption does not exist either. You're going to have to shoot those things with live ammunition. So let me finish with this. I want to use this quote just to awaken something in us. Kelly Capick wrote the introductory thoughts for a book republished from John Owen 
called Overcoming Sin and Temptation. And he says, crucial, crucial to resisting sin and temptation, according to Owen, was an understanding of what you were fighting. Christians are called to war against sin. According to Owen, this means they are called to learn the art of battle, which includes, and I think these are three helpful categories to have all of them in our minds. It includes understanding the nature of sin, which is right now. It won't be in the not yet. You and I will not wake up needing a strategy against sin. It won't be there, but it is here right now. Understanding the nature of sin. Second, the complexity of the human heart. The complexity of it. The inner workings and the motives and struggles and the ways in which stuff inside of me functions. And third, the goodness and provision of God. To do life in the overlap, you need all three of those. You can't get more spiritual than the Bible and just choose the one you like. I mean, the one I like, I mean, I don't care to know me any better than I already do. Thank you. And the sin thing, I could do without that as well. So can I just focus on the goodness and provision of God? Um, I think eternity is going to be about that one. But in the overlap, there's a war to fight. And I have to take out sin. I have to know it exists. And I have to know how it's rummaging around inside of me sometimes so that I can resist it in faith. And then we're all together doing this with each other. All right, so let me, let me I'm going to use this last second just to promote something, right? I think in your last point in your outline there, again, these, these could be, these are books, by the way. They're bullet points in your outline, but they're books. Uh, they're conferences, <laughs> but they're just a line in your outline, right? Uh, here's the resources in this warfare. One, the death of the cross is a massive resource in the war that you and I face so that we might worship this God, right? Whole nother topic. The life of the spirit is a resource in the warfare that we face in order to worship God. And next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday and we will pay attention to that one carefully, that resource that's come to us. The third resource in our battle is the people of God. I should add the word of God in here. I know some of you guys are thinking, what about the other resources? All right, I don't want to make this longer. There's a dimension to where we're doing this together. And God designed it that way. So that we're a body. We, we, we supply things to each other. We influence each other. We affect each other. We get in foxholes with one another. We cover each other when somebody can't figure out what direction to shoot in because they're so disoriented. And we cover them. And we shoot for them. Right? We're at war together pulling for one another. We're not going to do that well if all we do with the Bible is read at a devotional level. If we're theologically uninformed and we can't explain anything that I talked about today to anybody. And we pray for somebody and they die. And we got no explanation at all for that. As a matter of fact, we're just not sure we even trust God anymore. Can I just tell you, your devotional book won't get you past that. You're going to need to read big words that are in Romans 6 and 7 and 8. You're going to need to be a student of God's word. We're in war together. So one of the things that we want to do this, this year, and we're going to do it during the summer, is we're going to create a dinner and discipleship category. And sometimes we do this and we want the whole church to come to this one thing. So we're doing this one study together. and It's under the banner. I'm just going to briefly mention it to you. I'm going to preach on it in a couple of weeks. Um, it's a teaching series called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. It's a study done by a biblical counseling group, uh, well-authored, well-put-together. Here's my plug for it. This is from the introduction to the book. The paradigm is simple. When God calls you to himself, he also calls you to be a servant, an instrument in his redeeming hands. All his children are called into ministry. And each of them needs the daily intervention this ministry provides. If you followed the Lord for a thousand years, you would still need the ministry of the body of Christ as much as you did the day you first believed. 
this need will remain until our sanctification is complete in glory. Until this age ends, we will need this. Until Jesus returns the second time. That's what this book is about. How God uses people who are themselves in need of change as instruments of the same kind of change in others. This book's goal is not just that people's lives would be changed as they give help and receive it. The goal is to help the change, help change the church's very culture. I'm persuaded that the church today goes on and talks about what's not happening in the church. Do we know how to care for each other theologically? Do we know what to say to one another? And I'm giving away the fact that I don't know if today's church does. I think we know how to repeat TikTok phrases and short little ideas that answer to bad theology that you didn't realize the guy who wrote that book should never have been listened to. But he's popular and everybody's quoting him all over the place. But his theology doesn't work. We, we need help. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. We cannot afford to be dull instruments. We cannot afford to be miscalibrated instruments because God is going to pick us up and then touch somebody else with our lives, with our understanding, with the way in which truth is being worked out in us. We can't afford to be amateurs when God comes calling because he wants to use this person and that person's life and this person and that person's life and these people together with one another so I hope you'll, you'll join us this summer in mid-June when we start. We'll, we'll be doing it during the week. It'll be a, a dinner time followed by a video teaching, brief presentation from one of us, table discussions, some materials for you to study through to help our culture as a church. We need each other, right? We are in a war zone. I need you. You need me to be able to be for each other and be well-informed about how we minister to one another. All right? All right, I'm way over my time. Stand up, let's pray. Lord, this room and those watching, I've looked into their faces, Lord. I, I, I know the stories, many that are here. And Lord, there are just moments where the life that we're experiencing just generates questions that are hard to answer and hard to know what to do next. Lord, we heard one thing and our hopes were attached to that, but our experience fell short again. Or the thing that I don't want to do, the thing that's been writing too much of the script of my history, the thing that I put down, I picked it up again. I'm still battling it. The supernatural intervention that we hoped and longed for, we asked for, Lord, and we seem to have reasons to believe it would happen. But it didn't. Lord, I can sit in here on a Sunday morning and I can sing songs and my heart loves everything I'm saying. It is the longing of my soul to honor and worship and delight in and to be released from every distraction and every noise, every trouble. And to find God to be my great satisfaction above all things. Oh, that nothing even seems to matter, Lord, in your presence. Lord, I leave here. I do life on Tuesday and evil lies close at hand. Lord, some incredible things are true all at the same time. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We have been given power. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power. Power like you've never known in your life exists. And it's coming to you. And it's going to reside in you. And it's going to give you a new life. 
And that new life is going to give you a new personage and a new identity. And there are promises that are rich that you're going to begin to experience them. And you're going to lay your hands on others and they're going to experience them. And things that were mysterious to you are going to become clear. Things you couldn't understand, suddenly you can't understand them. All those things are true and evil still lies close at hand. So Lord, we are people. Again, this year, Lord, with one goal bigger than any other, Lord, we want to be worshipers of the living God. The one true God is worthy of our affection, our delight, our trust, our hope, our sense of being at peace because somehow in the mystery we know he's in charge. Lord, you're worthy of all of that. And we live in this moment, Lord, where that only gets experienced as warfare is fought. So, Lord, give us every aid you can, and you've determined to give us, that the war that we fight would bring us more and more and more into the realities of the truths that are awaiting us, the promises that will be ours fully. We want to taste them here, Lord. Unpack the first fruits at a greater level than we've ever known in this church, Lord. Let us taste and see what is good that is coming. Let us be a guaranteed and assured. Let us be refreshed. Let us be encouraging one another. Man, there's no fruit like that. Let's press on to get more. Because that's where we're headed. To these rich promises that God has guaranteed. So Lord, I pray today has been helpful for us as we read our Bibles, as we do life, and we feel the tension of the worship and the warfare in this overlap time period that you have called us to live. Lord, may you be glorified through us and through this church. And may you be worshiped and delighted in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Bless you guys who are watching. We'll see you next week. Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is next week. Get your early shopping done. <laughs>